July 5th. As we look into the New Testament, today we'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 23, verses 11 through 35. And we'll be reading about opportunity. Paul's nephew lived in the city, and by the providence of God, he discovered the Jewish plot. Only the Lord could have worked that out. We don't know the details. We never know what friend or relative God will use to help us. And we'll read about authority. Paul had the protection of 472 Roman soldiers, and the entire authority of the government was behind him. The Romans did not give Paul a fair hearing, but God still used them to protect Paul and get him to Rome because that was God's ultimate plan, to get Paul to Rome. Well, let's see how the story unfolds as we begin our reading today in the New Testament. July 5th, Acts chapter 23, verses 11 through 35. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have told the people about me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath to neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than forty of them. They went to the leading priests and other leaders and told them what they had done. We have bound ourselves under oath to neither eat nor drink until we have killed Paul. You and the high council should tell the commander to bring Paul back to the council again, they requested. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called one of the officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the arm, led him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the Jewish high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There are more than forty men hiding along the way, ready to jump and kill him. They have vowed not to eat or drink until they kill him. They are ready, expecting you to agree to their request. Don't let a soul know you told me this, the commander warned the young man as he sent him away. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, Get two hundred soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight. Also take two hundred spearmen and seventy horsemen. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to the governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings! This man was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to find out what he had done. I soon discovered it was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. 
So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning, while the horsemen took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it, and then asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. In verse 14 we see Israel saying, skeptically, but I don't feel loved. But Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. He says, I feel forsaken, you've forsaken, forgotten me. I'm surrounded by needs now, I've got needs now, I'm surrounded by tragedy now. So how does God deal with this? How does God deal with this despondency, this sense of forsakenness? And in verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Mother's love for a child is not just physical and emotional, it's unconditional. How indestructible is a mother's love for her child? And now God says, I want you to compare that to me. God is saying, do you know what he's saying here? He says, you see mother love, it's nothing compared to my love for you. You see her physical love? You see her very being moves her towards you? Do you know that everything about my glory, everything about my faithfulness, everything about my very nature drives me powerfully towards you? I'm a God of love. I'm a God of faithfulness. You give me nothing. It's nothing but take, 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 take. You're completely selfish. You add no value to my life at all, and I absolutely love you unconditionally. But guess what? God's not done, because ultimately this is still talk. And if you only have words and not action, in the end, you don't believe the person loves you. Because in the end, what really convinces you that somebody loves you is not talk, but action. In verse 16, the metaphor changes and says, see, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Now at first, that looks like just another lovely metaphor about his devotion. And here's the reason why. It was sometimes true in ancient times that the name of a master might be tattooed on the servant. But never, ever, ever, ever is the name of the servant tattooed on the master. That would mean a master who's devoted to the servant. And of course, well, that's what we have here. Isn't that beautiful? It's another metaphor of God's love. But no, it's not a beautiful metaphor. It's a horrible metaphor. You know why? It doesn't say tattoo. It says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And that word engraved is a very specific Hebrew word that means engrave with a hammer and a chisel. Conjure up the image of someone out of love letting people take a hammer and drive a spike right into the palm of their hands. Isn't that horrible? Yes, it is horrible. Doesn't that make you cringe? Yes, it makes you cringe. Isn't that crazy? No, it's not crazy. Centuries later, there was a man named Thomas. Jesus Christ appears to him, and he says, Look at the palms of my hands. See my love for you. Look at what's on the palms of my hands. See, that's your final argument, because it's more than an argument. It's a deed. This is not just talk. This is action. You know why it's a final argument? What if you say, Oh, I can't believe God loves me, because look at all the awful stuff in me, the things that I have done. You know what Jesus says? You're afraid that God's going to forsake you? On the cross, I was forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I was forsaken. I got the forsakenness that you sense that you deserve so that now, no matter what you do, God will never forsake you. He loves you as unconditionally 
as a mother loves her nursing infant. Well, you say, well, what about all these other things out here? But don't you see, I've done the thing that you really need. My love is unconditional. It is indestructible. And I absolutely love you unconditionally forever and ever. Amen. Today, we're reading from Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. If worry keeps you from getting a good night's sleep, well, Psalms 3 and 4 are what you need. Both Psalms were probably written when David was exiled from Jerusalem because his son Absalom had stolen the kingdom. How was David able to sleep when he was in such danger? The enemy was against him, but David knew that God was for him. How about you? Do you know that deep down in your heart? Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? Do you know that God is for you? God surrounds you, He sustains you, and He saves you continually. When people discourage you, God lifts up your head and keeps you going. Did you know that God never sleeps? We accept that intellectually, but when you really begin to think about that fact, it is mind-blowing. God lives in the eternal now, never sleeps. So uh, why should you stay awake and worry? Trust the Lord. He's in control. If you can't sleep, don't count sheep. Talk to the shepherd. Psalm 3, verses 1 through 8. A Psalm of David, regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of ten thousand enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May your blessings rest on your people. Proverbs 18, verses 14 and 15. The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear it if the spirit is crushed? Intelligent people are always open to new ideas. In fact, they look for them.